There are few things that make people successful. Taking a step forward to change their lives is one successful trait, but it takes some time to get there. How do you move forward to greet the success that awaits you? Welcome to Next Steps Forward with host Chris Meek. Each week, Chris brings on another guest who has successfully taken the next steps forward. Now, here is Chris Meek. Hello, I'm Chris Meek, and you've tuned to this week's episode of Next Steps Forward. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you with us again today. Our guest is Dr. Rob Kelly. Dr. Kelly is a sought-after recovery expert who believes in treating the causes of addiction and not the symptoms. <clears throat> a frequent contributor to radio and print interviews, his professional credentials include a PhD in psychology from Trinity College, Oxford University, and a PhD in psychology with a behavioral science concentration from the University of Southampton. Dr. Kelly hosted the Sober Celebs show on KLIF Radio in Dallas and currently hosts the Breaking Through Addiction podcast featuring special guests discussing a variety of mental health issues. Dr. Kelly is currently the Chief Executive Officer of the Rob Kelly Recovery Group, an addiction and mental illness recovery coaching company he created based on extensive research and behavior studies that he has conducted over the past 20 years. Rob Kelly, welcome to Next Steps Forward. Thank you, Chris. Great to be here, guys. Well, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. We know how busy you are, and uh, I appreciate you not rubbing in how warm it is in Texas versus cold in, Cal in Connecticut today, so we'll save that for later. So... <coughs> Many patients often wonder if the professionals who treat them have ever experienced what they've experienced and whether those professionals truly empathize with them. You've lived through the highs and lows of addiction as you struggled with and overcame crippling alcoholism. <clears throat> Would you share your journey with us and not just the chapter involving your addiction, but also your life leading up to that? Well, you know, I was born in Manchester, UK, guys, as you can tell by the accent, just in case you think I was from Texas. And, uh, you know, I took my first drink at the age of nine and uh, I was in a, an alcoholic family, but you know, back in the day, nobody knew that. Nobody knew about alcoholism as a whole. Although we trace back generations and father liked to drink and grandfather liked to drink and you can see the pattern there. So I found out and in my research and studies that alcoholics are born and drug addicts are made. So the, the alcoholic, which we'll get into later, uh, has a predisposition. So yeah, I took my first drink. I remember exactly where I was because when I took that first couple of mouthfuls into my system, my whole outlook on life changed. So it stayed with me, you know, all through my schooling. So lucky to get to college. It was a Freemasons contact, guys. I wasn't that clever. I should never have been. I got brought up on the projects. I just about scraped through. Uh, but I was drinking all through that. Just drinking, drinking, drinking. And then somewhere, and we'll get into the neuroscience of this later, guys. Uh, my head changed, and then I couldn't stop drinking. And that led to horrendous things happening in my house. I was married to children. Um, and then, obviously, it went through this. I, I stabbed my wife three times one night because she won't let me finish my bottle of vodka. I was kind of my lowest of the low. And I fled to Spain and come back, and then she left me. Uh, and then I ended up homeless. Everybody was just done with me. The promises, the sorries. The... So I went from this beautiful house. We did a two brand new Mercedes every year for me and my wife. Beautiful kids, one and three they were. Just a beautiful middle-class family to being homeless on the streets of Manchester where I had to steal and beg for alcohol or food. And I stayed there for 14 months. It was crazy. But I do, uh, the, the beginning of the question is it's very, very, very important in my opinion 30 years being in the industry, uh, over 8,000 patients, is if you haven't been through alcoholism, 
you can't take anybody else through a program that they can recover from. I'm sorry, guys. I know how much years you've got training, but you cannot. It's as simple as that. Drug addiction is slightly different. Drug addiction is the addictive personality, you know, but they both show themselves the same. You wrote a book about your addiction and how it affected your family. Tell us about the writing experience as you came to terms with your addiction. Was it difficult, cathartic, both? You know, when I first started, I, I had the book here, guys. I'm not selling it, buy it or not buy it. It just doesn't make any difference to me. All that money goes out. So there's my daughter and there's me. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I had all these stories and all these things I would tell my wife. And it took about four years to write because my wife wrote it and I would give her pieces of information, you know, and then she, she got this book. And it's amazing how God works because about three weeks after we finished the book, my daughter, who I'd not seen... <clears throat> for maybe 28 years, 20, and I'm not good with math, uh, contact me on Messenger. Uh, and, and we decided, obviously, Daddy, Daddy, please stop drinking is one of the last, last things I said to her. So writing the book and going through, it's a healing process, guys. You know, I'm sort of thinking of writing a book. You, no, you have to do it as part of your therapy if you want to fully recover because things will come to you in crazy moments that would be de minimis in normal life. Jot it down, put it aside, or give it to somebody like I did to my wife. And she created this amazing book. Now, it was amazing writing it. It was great. It was fantastic. I haven't read it yet because I never watch myself on TV, never watch the podcast. I won't be watching this because, and I never, I've never read my book. And the reason why is a simple, Chris, is if I watch that and see all the reaction and everything, I might buy into that BS that I'm a, you know, this celebrity and stuff like that. And I just don't do that. I can't do it for my own safety and sanity. So yeah, very healing. You've got to do it, guys. Listen, one thing I know for a fact is everyone thinks they have time. You don't have time, okay? That's, we, everything I say, we've researched, tried and tested. Most of the old people that we saw uh, that had weeks, days to live, uh, we would chat to them and we found out one sentence they would say, I thought I had more time. And you don't. So how many moms and dads have said, one minute I'm waving them off to kindergarten, next minute they're at college. It's vital that you understand we don't have time. So if you're pondering on writing that book, stop being selfish, write it, heal from it, and then pass it on to the thousands, if not millions, with the ripple effect that you can help connect and save their life. And it really is that powerful. You know, and I can relate to that uh, in a little bit different of a scope. Uh, I was at 9-11, I'm sorry, ground zero on 9-11. And for my entire career, I've worked within roughly six blocks of, of ground zero. And it took me 17 years to actually go back to ground zero. Yeah. And the, really one of the things that launched this podcast was I wrote a book and it was you know about my, I self-diagnosed myself with PTSD. Yeah. And so I can completely relate to that and, and completely agree with you. So, so thank you for sharing that. But let's back up for a minute. How do we define addiction? Is there a specific medical defi definition? Well, if you look in the Oxford English or the American English Dictionary, it says one has to be dependent upon alcohol. So a dependency is what it states in America to be, but it goes way past that. Uh, dependency, uh, like alcoholism, one who is dependent upon alcohol, it says. That's true to a certain degree, uh, but it's not the whole story. You see, alcohol has got 1% to do with alcoholism, the same with drugs. 
You know, it's just, I mean, look at depression, for instance. The definition of uh, depression is lack of serotonin, lack of dopamine. That's what the med medical fraternity will tell you. So you go to the doctor and you say, hey, you know, I feel depressed. It gives you an SSRI. You go home, it builds your serotonin back up. But why isn't anybody asking the question why my serotonin is low in the first place? Why is nobody asking the question that why I can't stop drinking? That that was the big question for me because I was a pretty streetwise guy. You know, I, I, I studied a little. I'm not the smartest guy in the room by far. But I knew there was something different that when people said, you know, just stop drinking, if, if people in my group did that and was fine. And then I found out there's a huge difference between a heavy drinker and the alcoholic. So I, I threw myself into 25 years of study pertaining to neuroscience, the brain, what alcoholism and addiction is, and found out that, you know, it's, it goes way beyond. So most people ask me what the gateway drug is. I'll tell you guys, it's childhood trauma. Is the Oh, I've never had child. Yeah, you have. The people that say that usually blocked it out and had the worst trauma, but you have to define trauma and then define how it affects you today. So. Let's go back real quick to uh, childhood. A girl in, a, in an alcoholic house where dad comes home, beats mom every night, drunk, she will learn a couple of things. First of all, she'll listen for the key going in the door. Is it jaggling around? In that case, dad's drunk, go and hide. But when she leaves the house, she will attract the guy who beats her and ends up being an alcoholic because it's learned behavior. And if she attracts a nice guy, that treats her well, she will self-sabotage that relationship because it doesn't feel comfortable. It's that simple. That's it. It's that, I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, I'm an alcoholic and drug addict, uh, but it really is that simple. But many people, I mean, there's a lot of work to go back and do the trauma, but you have to understand it's not about the alcohol. When I say alcohol, guys, I mean both. It's not about the alcohol. It really isn't. And, and to prove this, I'm outside a liquor store in England when I'm homeless. It's 5.30 in the morning. The can't serve alcohol until 10. This Pakistani gentleman, he, he knows I'm an alcoholic, he knows I'm living on the streets and he always lets me in at 5.30. I've got a string vest on, a pair of shorts, a pair of flip-flops, it's snowing and I'm absolutely sweating profusely. I'm shaking, I can't really, really talk proper because the DTs are now settling in, which basically means guys, if I don't get a drink or hospitalization in the next 30 minutes, I'm dead. That's what it means. You know, so I stumbled into this shop shaking as I put my 10 pound on the counter. And this, this was the deal breaker for me. This is where it all started. He put the bottle of vodka on the counter. I gave him my 10 pound and this is what happened on this morning. <sighs> Not even open the bottle. I looked at the shopkeeper, looked back at the bottle and I thought, holy crap, it's not about the alcohol. And that's what started my journey. It's not about the alcohol. From a physiological perspective, what causes some people to become addicted and other people not to? It's the addictive personality. You know, two things. It's the addictive personality to start with because we've become addicted to things. It's a predisposition with alcoholism. But if, if, you, if you've got kids today that are constantly on video games and you don't monitor that, I'll show you a, a future addict. You know, the brain becomes addicted to anything that we're doing. When you add in Adderall to 10, 11-year-olds, it's, it's over. The life is over. I'm sorry to say that, but it is. Stop giving kids amphetamine salts. So we grab hold of that addiction. Now, most drug addicts who's recovered are geniuses. They create empires. They create businesses. They go on to have an amazing life. We're the only guys in the addiction world that have two lives in one lifetime. 
So we get the first one, I mess up, nearly die. On my occasion, I died and they brought me back and you get this beautiful second life. So most of it is the, the addictive personality. We get addicted to things real easy. And if you don't know what that is, here's a definition, guys. I can't have one of anything. We go in the sandwich store. I get, Jimmy, what do you want? Sam sandwich? Yeah, get me sandwich. What else do you want? Oh, nothing. What are you getting, Rob? Uh, give me two sandwiches, three bags of chips, one of them drinks and one of them sweets over there. I can't have one of anything, guys. So I'm one of those guys that if I pick up a drink, let's say after this show, one o'clock, I pick up a drink, Christmas has asked to be canceled for me because I can't stop. And there's a neuroscience uh, brain, which we'll get into three parts of the brain differ from any other addiction with the alcoholism that makes me drink. Are there specific stages in life when we're more susceptible to addiction? You know, that's a great question. So again, going back to the alcoholics are born, that could take up to 50 years to come to fruition where uh, the hypothalamus changes around and tells uh, the alcoholic not to eat food and drink water. This way I can go days or weeks without eating or drinking, but to, 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 to take alcohol in only. Uh, obviously the video games don't help with the addicted uh, personality that can become addicted. But listen, guys, most of the people that come to me with a, with a staunch heroin addiction started in the doctor's office. So if you're going to the doctor for painkillers and you don't have the addictive personality, you're not an all or nothing guy, then you're gonna take that medication as prescribed. If you have the addictive personality that you can't stop something once you've started, you're gonna become a drug addict and you're gonna keep taking it till the doctor stops you and you go to the streets and then you find, if you're lucky, somebody like me. So the ages vary. A lot of people will tell you between the age of five and then their brain's still growing. It's got nothing to do with that, guys. It really hasn't. You've mentioned the addictive personality a few times. Are there other personality types that are more susceptible to addiction? I think the addictive personality is the one. You know, if you, if you grow up, uh, like the kids now on video games, something da -da 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 -da, every single day, it's why children, when they grow up, have strict parents about school, and these are going to do pretty good. The, the kids that, that uh, get, uh, get hit by parents go on to bully. Bullies always bully, and, and so on and so forth. So I don't think there's a def definite answer to that. Uh, I've not done enough research around that, but yeah. I know there are different types of addiction, but at its core, is every addiction the same, or does each possess its own unique features and require its own specific treatment process? Oh, great question, Chris. Go back to the point that alcohol has 1% and drug has 1% to do with the addiction to the alcoholism. That's so true. Do your research. Look me up. Uh, so it's really important that we really understand that and what's going on. So it's not, it's not the symptom that's going on. It's really what's going on inside my head. So I will turn to anything at any age, whatever my brain tells me to do, and start doing that straight away. And your experience, what are the most effective methods for treating addiction? Whoa, Chris, why are you getting these? We did our homework. Brilliant. Uh, so look, <clears throat> if you're a heavy drinker and um, if you're a heavy drug user, but you're not the addict or you're not the real alcoholic talks about, uh, get yourself into treatment, stay there 30 days, lock yourself up, they'll teach you how to relapse prevention and all that BS that they teach you in some treatment centers. I know millions are fantastic guys, good job. But when treatment centers are taking people in third, fourth, fifth times, charging them 50 grand at a time, there's something wrong with that picture. Best treatment is uh, psychic change, change of mind. So there's neural pathways that'll kill you, there's neural pathways that'll take you to the next level, being amazing. 
Addicts and alcoholics have more uh, self-harm neural pathways than they do harm uh, good neural pathways. So 300 neural pathways die around each day. And then you, we can create 300 more with repetition, strength, and confirms, as I said. So the psychic change, there's a book out there that talks about this uh, in step meetings. Um, psychic change, spiritual awakening. So I have never seen a true alcoholic and addict who's recovered that's an atheist. I just haven't seen it. And I, I dislike God so much when I was on the streets. But uh, I have a huge spiritual awakening. And I would put down to get, get somebody who knows what they're doing, potential neuroscience, the brain, the mind, which is separate from the brain, and knows about addiction to get you through that. Because otherwise, I'm sorry, guys, if you're the real deal like me, you're going to die. There's no, you're going to end up in prison for life or you're going to die. There's no, I'm going to get help. But there's, no, there's no other way out of this, guys. If there's anybody that could have beaten this, it would have been me. Believe me. I was the toughest, most scary guy in the world, a bodybuilder who could fight. We talk about 500 fights on that movie. I've had over 500 fights. I was dangerous, I was horrible, and I couldn't beat it. And on the other side of the coin, are there common methods that tend to not be very effective? Common methods, you know, again, if you're a real alcoholic, forget anti-abuse, it does not work. It's a chemical reaction, okay, and a predisposition. So it does not work. I often see treatment people going to treatment for 30 days to come out and they relapse on their way home. So some treatment centers don't work. Taking advice of the doctor for alcoholism and addiction is a waste of time. They don't know anything about the disease, guys. Always get a second opinion from someone who's been an alcoholic or addict, otherwise you're wasting your time. And talk to somebody, not an idiot, talk to somebody who's good because anybody else will tell you like 90% of people will go to them 12-step meetings, they're not the real alcoholics, but they'll give you advice on it. So just be real careful, study. You need to have a full knowledge of your condition. That's from uh, the big button, you, but it's so true. You need to know what you're suffering from. Alcoholism is the only self-diagnosed illness in the world. So it's not, 10 DUIs do not make an alcoholic, 10 DWIs, warning from the doctor, 10 warnings from the, uh-uh-uh, something happens chemically, pertaining to neuroscience in my brain and my mind that takes it to the next level that I cannot stop. So really be careful what people tell you. Double check. If you're, if you're stuck somewhere, call the, our office. We'll just we'll spend 20 minutes, 20 hours on the phone with you. We're not going to sell you anything. I'm, I'm, I don't need any more patients for the next 20 years. Thank you. But call us for advice. We'll give you plenty of advice for your charge. We tend to hear about genetics when the subject of addiction comes up. You've talked about the addictive personality. Is there a gene? Okay. <sighs> Guys, I've got to tell you, Chris Meek, best questions ever. Nobody's asking these questions. It's so important. So the addictive gene as such does not exist. So neither does anything passed down in the family. You cannot pass inflammation of the knee to the next generation. You cannot pass heart disease to the next generation. So there isn't a gene as such when it comes to addiction, although the predisposition to alcoholism, we believe there is because of the allergy that we have pertaining to alcoholics. What tends to happen in drug addicts and people that are, that are you know, sick with you know, heart failure, whatever, is a pass down from family to family. I believe alcoholics can do that, but I don't believe any other addiction can do that. What we are doing, and Gary Brecker, thank you for this new, uh, new research that you've done, is it's a deficiency in the food that we eat. Okay, so you can't methylize some certain foods. Families from generation teach you how to eat, what to eat, and it's passed down from generation to generation.
Now, alcoholics were born with three parts of the brain that differ from any other addiction or human being. They react different. That's a gene. Great. I'll go that we I don't know. And I've studied it for 30 years. I just know that predisposition. You can trace alcoholism back three generations. And if it's there and you think you have a problem, you probably do. You can't really trace three generations of drug addicts. There's no pattern. There is a pattern with alcoholism. And I know you're going to get loads of people writing in and talking in. Guys, bear with me. Do your research before you call Chris and go, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm the leading authority that wrote for McLean Hospital at Harvard University pertaining to addiction. I'm the guy that they all call doctors in I teach doctors about alcoholism and addiction. So this is the latest neuroscience that we have studied and performed uh, and tested and tried over the last 25 years and 10 years with the neuroscience. So that's the answer. We all have different DNA. Do we also have different brain chemistry? And how does our brain chemistry contribute to addictive behaviors? Well, that predisposition and allergic to the ethanol in alcohol is, is something that's pretty big. So I'm not allergic to alcohol as such. I'm allergic to the ethanol in alcohol. So my brain reacts differently. That's why it's passed down from generation to generation, I believe. Uh, but yeah, I mean, every, every brain has circuits that are in that uh, system that work normally like every other human being. A lot of it is, uh, is, uh, is family uh, teachings and practicing. A lot of it is learned behavior and traits from our caregivers including trauma. So chemically, the only thing that we found is the, the allergy to the ethanol. Now, no other addiction has the allergy, no other addiction, only alcoholism. So brain reacts different, central nervous system reacts different. And then when, when the alcohol gets in my body, I get sick if I try and come off it. So I can't actually come off it. I can come off drugs, I can wean down, I can come off it. You try the same with alcohol on your own, you will die. You try and wean down, you can't do it if you're an alcoholic. Certainly a variety of other factors, internal and external, contribute to addiction or the vulnerability to addiction. How do psychological or physical factors, such as stress, health conditions, or brain injury, to addiction? Oh my God, this is the best podcast ever, guys. It's unbelievable. Okay. So uh, generational, you know, the, the, the surroundings that can affect us, although it's not a behavioral problem. Alcohol is not a behavioral problem. It's a neuroscience problem. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you've, if you've you know, grown up in, in a violent house and there's alcoholism in the house, that contributes. If you've born up in a strict house where no alcohol is allowed, that can continue. Childhood trauma is absolutely number one. Uh, to That's the gateway drug, you know, so that also affects. So there's a load of things going on around us. We used to think it was just the alcohol. If you could just stop drinking, it would be okay. But there's so many other factors in this deal. If alcohol is not the problem, not the real problem, it's just a symptom like spots to my chicken pots. What's the real problem? It's all these things. It is environment, okay? It says learned behavior. It's childhood trauma. It's bullying. It's that addictive personality. It's the allergy to the, it's all this stuff bound in one, driven by fear because uh, of the childhood trauma uh, that happens. So yeah, great question. But there's, you know, we could sit here for the next 20 weeks explaining that in depth. Uh, but yeah, it's not one thing. There's a series of things that's going on. And childhood trauma is so slight. So this is my childhood trauma, Chris. 
This is my mom. How many times have I told you, Robert, you can't go to college like your brother, you're too stupid. That was one of my childhood traumas that stayed with me for a long, long, long time and still have flashbacks there when I'm going on TV or going on stage in front of thousands of people. I hear my mom now and again, you are stupid. Even of all the tra uh, childhood trauma work I've done, that seems to be the case. I think you may have answered part of this next question. So we know that anyone can fall into addiction, but your point, do family dynamics, educational levels, and socioeconomic status create any differences? Or is one addict the same as another? <clears throat> Probably the same as the other. But let me tell you guys, everybody, you know the guy running Apple, the guy running Google, all them multi-billionaires that are running, they have the addictive personality. Okay. But they probably haven't been exposed to drugs. They probably haven't been exposed to painkillers that's taken them to the next level. So, you know, you can have the addictive brain to do amazing things with your life. In actual fact, when we get clean and sober, like me, from the streets to here, we do amazing things. And I know 8,000 patients have done exactly the same as I've done. I mean, it's not rocket science, would you believe? There's no mystery here. You know, you have to look at what the DNA is. You have to look at your blood tests. You have to look at the way your brain reacts. You have to look at the past behavior. You have to look at the trauma as a whole. How do addiction and trauma each change the brain's chemistry? Are those changes similar? And does the combination of addiction and trauma have a more profound effect on the brain? The addiction does actually. Addiction, addiction and PTSD probably are, are very similar. Let me tell you why. Anything that disrupts the brain from normal brain patterns, anything that changes the circuitry, you see something in war, or we see uh, a housewife of a man who's a chronic alcoholic, we tested that housewife with, with a violent house and we tested soldiers coming back from Afghanistan. Thank you for your service. And we found that the trauma and the way the brain reacts was exactly the same. Nobody knew when they were going to die. Everyone's walking around on eggshells, you know, so on and so forth. So brain chemistry can change in alcoholics. They're already changed. And then, of course, the three solid parts of the brain that add to that, which we'll get into later. How do you create a safe and trusting therapeutic environment and safe and trusting therapeutic relationships with people who have trauma histories? You have to share your own trauma. You have to share, you, that's the first thing I do is, hey, and I think this is why God's taking us for everything. You never lost your kids, check. You've never been homeless, check. You've never been beaten on the street, check. You know, all these things that I've done is checking off. So when you sit down in an environment that they trust you straight away because you've been there and you sit down and you go through a series of, of safe modes that we get them in over a period of time, it's the mirroring part of the brain. If you've been through this and they've come to you, how the mirroring part of the brain connects. It's one of the biggest salesman trick. Your guy you want to sell to, cross his legs, you cross your leg. He orders fish, you order fish. It's the same thing when we're trying to get well. It's the same thing. It mirrors completely every single day. We've been talking to Dr. Rob Kelly, and we'll be right back after a short break. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Up from the ashes, out of the grave, sweet taste of freedom, no longer your slave. Picture the heart-wrenching anguish a family endures when a child is abducted. Human trafficking is a worldwide crisis that plagues our society. Voices Against Trafficking stands as a voice for those entrapped in the depths of despair. 
Broken Treasures, You Hold the Key is a musical collection that showcases the dedication of artists and celebrities who were determined to protect the world's children. There is a way for you to make a difference right now. Visit VoicesAgainstTrafficking.com. The proceeds will go towards helping child victims. The power to liberate them rests in your hands. Cause I'm still alive. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Next Steps Forward. To reach Chris Meek or his guest on the show today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. 9141 or send an email to chris at nextstepsforward.com. Now, back to this week's show. And we are back. I'm Chris Meek, host of Next Steps Forward. And my guest today is Dr. Rob Kelly. Rob is a sought after recovery expert who believes in treating the causes of addiction and not the symptoms. He currently hosts the Breaking Through Addiction podcast, featuring special guests discussing a variety of mental health issues. Dr. Kelly is also the Chief Executive Officer of the Rob Kelly Recovery Group, an addiction and mental illness recovery coaching company he created based on extensive research and behavior studies that he has conducted over the past 20 years. Rob, a number of states have decriminalized marijuana possession or legalized recreational marijuana use, and proponents are pushing to do so in more states or pass a national law legalizing recreational use. What's your reaction to that? Are you concerned we're creating new addicts or or have created new addicts? You know, I was there the first time in Colorado. I did a, a, a national uh, TV show and radio show on that. Here's, here's my opinion, guys, and it's only from my research. I can't speak for everyone or please anybody. Uh, we've not seen any marijuana uh, guys smashing shops up or hitting the wife or anything like that. And we can't see any long-term apart from the smoke, obviously, that you're taking in with it. Uh, obviously, that's damaging. I don't mind the whole of America being legal. Just inform everybody, inform the general public what it can do to you over the long term. It's where smoking was in the 60s. You know, tell people what the long term effect is, but I have not, it's definitely not the gateway drug guy. I have never seen a person that specifically started marijuana that turned out to be a chronic uh, heroin addict or something like that. I, I've not seen it. Now, I've, I've now be careful here. I have seen people take marijuana and then end up that way. But the people that don't have the addictive personality, because we've got to go back to that again, guys, with anything. When we're all on the thing, guys. But normal people on the street who use mar- marijuana, including my mom when she was dying of cancer, I can see no adverse effects whatsoever. So I kind of back it. Uh, for the right people when it comes to addiction stay away from stay away from it guys because we're all or nothing guys we really are all or nothing guys general public go for it addictive personality be very very careful 
you know, a com complete chronic alcoholic or addict, stay away, guys, because we have to have something in our brain that changes the way we feel. When we do that, all bets are off. So you're saying marijuana is not a gateway drug. Are there substances that are more likely to lead to addiction or is it really just back to the personality? Yeah, it's the personality, really. I mean, how many people have taken speed, cocaine when they're going through college, smoke marijuana, go on, never touch it again? They're the guys that can do this, no problems at all. Like I said, just be careful with the addicted personality, addicted family, alcoholism in the family. Just be very careful of anything that changes the way that you feel because that's what we're after. We have a hole that needs to be filled all the time. So we just, just, just be careful. I'm not saying don't do it, guys. For me, you know, if somebody's, What's the smoke marijuana? That's your choice. But like I said, my patients, I always say no. I've talked to law enforcement people who say up to 80% of men in jail in their jurisdiction, and sometimes up to 100% of women who have been charged also have a substance <clears throat> abuse problem. In your experience, how does substance abuse impact the legal system? We are not prepared for the substance abuse that's hit, especially when we talk about, you know, the latest out there. Uh, but listen, guys. We need a better system. Why? I mean, I don't know prior cases, but the cases we study, why, why are you locking Johnny up for two ounces of blah, blah for like 20 years or something? You know, we're overpopulated it is. There's a difference, again, uh, between, the, between the occasional user and the real drug addicts. One needs to go in jail or prison for a period of time. One needs help. So if we were to take these guys away and give them a chance there was a judge in Dallas I worked very closely and we come up with a program that we, we called it First Chance and we'd given one chance, even though he was set for two to four years. They had to turn up every single day, they had to do the homework, and then we met once a week to go through what they'd done. It's a 90-something percent success rate of people going, hey, I'm done with it. It was a phenomenal, I think it's still going as well, it was a phenomenal exercise. Are there specific interventions that address both substance abuse and mental health concerns in a way that avoids the criminal justice system? I, I, I definitely, without a doubt, definitely. I've seen lots and lots of stuff like this happen. But alcoholism and addiction is a mental health issue. You know, when we start looking at that and treating it like, like that, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get better. But interventions done properly are very, very good, especially if, if the people doing the intervention have been there and done it. I mean, again, mirroring part of the brain, somebody leading you. Most alcoholics and addicts have lost their identity through the addiction uh, as a whole. So once you start finding that identity, once you start getting intervened with somebody who gives you hope, a mentor, interventionist, family, whatever it is, well, if you move forward, that can that can work amazing. We we took a girl in Dallas away and she hated going and she didn't want to go and she tried to jump out of the car two or three times. We got her there. This was about 10 years ago. And uh, I saw her about a year ago and she's doing absolutely amazing. That's your fact. She's this manager in the house, the halfway house and treatment center that we took her to. It's phenomenal. When the subject of crime is discussed, we hear about recidivism. And that is the percentage of people released from prison who become repeat criminals. Do we know much about people released from prison and their return to substance abuse? <clears throat> you know, there's, there's, it's very hard to monitor. Like people might say it is, but it's very hard. I mean, how do you monitor the millions of people that come out? Do they use, do they not? You know, some might use occasionally, you know, get lost in the system again. We don't know. Uh, what I would say again is we need to start treating people that are addicted and people that are alcoholics in prison, when they come out, we need a system for them to get in. And I don't particularly mean just a probation officer. We need a probation officer who is also 
au fait with addiction as a whole because <clears throat> people are lost. People get put back in the world. There, there was a girl in Manchester back in the late 60s. She was kidnapped, snatched off the side of the road. 16 years old, blonde hair, blue eyes. It was a huge manhunt. Couldn't find her. A couple of weeks later, they pulled people back, manpower. Uh, nine months after that, there was a police car following another car back in the 69, remember, no, no radios. Uh, and he pulled him over for a broken light at the back. Uh, you're allowed to search the car, which he did, and found a stolen screwdriver. So then you're allowed to go back to the house and see what else is stolen. So, you know, we went back to the house, a few more people went with him, police officers. And this, and sure enough, there were lawnmowers, there was, there was, you know, all sorts of stuff, drills that he'd stolen. And while they're looking, they find this box in the corner, it's like four foot high by 12 foot wide. And they say to him, we know you've got more stolen gear in there. And he says, I don't know anything about that. They smashed the lock off, opened it, and there was the girl that went missing nine months ago. She was alive. She'd get beaten and battered every day, taken out, abused, fed, restroom, back in the box for nine months, Chris. As the policewoman leant over and helped her stand outside the box, what's the first thing she did? She got in the box. And that's what people do coming out of prison. That's what people do coming out of treatment center. It seems the easiest way because nobody's out here standing up and, and showing them how to do it, how to be a father, how to come away from drugs. And I'll tell you why they don't, Chris, because there's no money in recovery. There's no money in getting you well. If they can't give you a pharmaceutical drug or stick you in some sort of psychological treatment center or, you know, stuff that nobody wants to know you, you know, so we're lost. I mean, when you're looking at treatment centers being about 5% success rate and 12-step groups even less than that, what we're doing wrong, misunderstood what alcoholism and addiction, totally misunderstood. It should be on the same level of misunderstanding in the beginning as cancer and all that stuff. We have a disease for which there is no cure. Now, there's no cure for food poison or the common cold, but there still is something you can do to make sure you don't get that again. But nobody knows that. So we need more people plunging money into this, you know, make, making a body uh, of people throughout the United States of America with, with places in each single state to show these guys what's coming on. If we save one life, we've done our job. I want to go back to something you, you really have kind of beaten into my head over the show is that this all comes back to an addictive personality trait. And you've referenced a few times, you know, kids were with playing video games today, but today's society seems to be addicted to something, no matter what it is, whether it's social media, whether it's gambling, whether it's, to your point, video games, whether it's booze, drugs, something. And I think COVID sort of accelerated that because we're all cooped up and just looked at our computers. Are we an addictive society today? Oh, 100%. And we haven't seen the knock-on effect or the final result from COVID either. When you take someone's identity away, put a mask on, and you isolate them, most people on death row by the time they reach the chair are mentally insane because of the isolation. We're already starting to be, alcohol sales went on by 42% and so on and so forth. Now we have kids on the, I mean, on the iPhones, on the iPads, and they, they we're losing communication skills. I asked one guy, one kid, I said, you know, you've got any of my friends? I've got 500 friends on Facebook. I said, you're just plugging to the wall. I, I don't, what are you talking about, 500 friends? You ain't got 500 friends. And so we're losing that. The knock-on effect to come is going to be absolutely earth-shattering. When people, are, and this is why we've got all this stuff going on at the moment of, of people having breakdowns, people, you know, you know, crying in cry rooms at work and stuff like that. It all starts 
from that addicted iPhones and, and, and PlayStations and all that, that has to be moderated with any child. If you're sticking your room, and I see this in affluent houses, Chris, more than anything else, but if you're sticking your child in a room with a video game just to keep him quiet, while, while you do whatever you're going to do, that's not good enough. That, and, and, then, and then he grows up to do something silly in the world, and, and you're there going, oh, I don't know what went wrong. You are what went, went wrong. That's the problem, you. Your parents, parent your freaking children. Don't, I mean, people come to me all the time. There's a blank checkbook, Dr. Rob, just go and hit. No, you can't buy me. Do some parenting for once in the world. You decide to bring them in. Stop sticking them away and expecting them to turn out normal because they won't turn out normal. Oh, I'm getting excited now, Chris. I love it. Just getting to the heart of the show now. So, Rob, you developed the Let's Get Back to 98% Recovery DVDs used in prisons and recovery treatment centers throughout the U.S. Tell us what that title means and how is that approach different than other treatment plans? Everybody wants to focus on the alcohol and drugs. Everybody wants to do that. So percentage goes down because it's not about the alcohol or drugs. You know, it's not about the depression. It's not about... It's not about it. It's, it's, it's more in-depth. So what I was saying is that there's a certain, well, the AA group out there was 99% success rate back in Akron, back in 1939, 1940s, and we've lost that. The percentage of people recovering, we've lost that because we've come away to what the addiction or alcoholism is. We've come away from that. So I am 62 years old, although it dresses if I'm 30. Uh, the, the mission of my life is to change as many people uh, back to, to a nice life. So alcoholics get two lives, one bad, one good. We get a second chance in life. We get a second, and addicts as well, we get a second go at this. So everybody can be at 99% success rate. Every, alcoholism is addiction. I'm a fully recovered alcoholic and addict. Recovered means to gain one's health. I'm no longer sick and state of mind. I'm not insane today the more people we get like that the more people let's see how amazing they are and what the world can do and the more that person is recovered can give back to the community because you could give a an alcoholic a million dollars or he could help a hundred people he's going to choose the hundred people every time once he gets into that work because it's so fulfilling and i'm i am direct i'm aggressive when it comes to this disease and i'm not going to take no for an answer so the reason why i told him at 62 is i'm going to still be at 82 preaching this stuff because i really think people need to know it because they don't want to know you know oh yeah it's like the drug, drug addiction in the projects nobody cared then it got to the middle class it was like oh we seem to have a problem here guys we really need to set up as a society in America, and I'm, I'm an American now, I take that very seriously, um, <clears throat> to stand up to this. Otherwise, the future looks bleak, and it's your kids we're talking about. Don't come to me when your kid does something crazy, you know, when you've isolated him and neglected him. No one's been validated, no one's been approved. You need that in the early days. A game won't do that for it. An iPhone won't do that for you. What about the attaboys? What about the cuddling? You know, we look at oxytocin as a whole. As a whole. Four chemicals in the brain you need every day to be happy. Endorphins, uh, uh, dopamine, serotonin, and oxytocin. If nobody's getting them four chemicals, you're not going to be happy in normal childhood and normal adult life. If you take the cuddling away, for instance, and the loving and the kind words and the validation, your kid will grow up better than sticking him in a room with War of the Worlds or whatever it is they play these days. Are you a fan of community-based initiatives such as halfway houses or outpatient treatment programs for people who had addictions and have been released from prison? I am, well, again, two sorts. It's just great questions. Uh, I am for the guys that run it properly. I know a bunch of guys running it properly. When you come out, there's a program 
There's a set program that you have to do. Now, there's plenty of houses out there that are in them for the wrong reason. So you come in and out and in and out, and they love it. They're getting more money every time you relapse, and it makes good business sense to them. So they're left in a room. Some some call wet houses. You're allowed to drink in the room. It's like it's crazy. It's like you know, if you get a good house, like a couple of my friends have got, they take prisoners just coming out. They stick them right into a regimented program. The success rate from those guys have not been measured, but it's pretty high, Chris. So I would say in general, yes unless them guys are in it for the wrong reasons. That's money-making, therefore they've got no skin in the game. But if you're a fully recovered alcoholic or addict and you want to give back, it's a great place to start. In your opinion, you mentioned regimented programs. Would you prefer that versus a tailored treatment plan? I do. You know, the basal ganglia is our repetition, strength, and confirm. So there's three parts of the brain that differ in the alcoholic. The basal ganglia, uh, the amygdala, and the hypothalamus. So the basal ganglia is our repetition, strength, and confirms part of the brain. So the more we do something, the more it becomes immediate reactions, like a pilot needs 10,000 hours in the air. You go over and over and over and then run drills, and sooner or later you can fly the plane without even thinking about it. It's the same with our behavior. Once we get into that good cycle, then we're good. But what happens with addiction and alcoholism is, if you imagine a clock phase, you know, 10 after we get the car back, 20 after we get the wife back, then the kids, and about 10 to the hour, we self-sabotage because the part of the brain is at default when it comes to the addiction and it comes to the alcoholism. Then you've got the amygdala, that's our trauma. It's like a smoke alarm for the brain. Uh, and then you've got the hypothalamus that at a certain point tells the alcoholic to drink alcohol, not food and water. We still don't know why, but it does. So yeah, definitely. Now let's get into the science of this. You're a certified neuro-linguistic programming practitioner and also a certified brain spotting practitioner. Yes. Let's dive into both of those disciplines. What is neurolinguistic? Sorry. Yeah, and NLP has been around for years, guys. It's changing thought patterns using devious ways. And I say devious with a smile on my face. You know, we've got to use it, uh, uh, subliminal messages and stuff, which we can change thought patterns and rewire circuits of the brain. My daughter, Charlie Kelly, is our, is our lead NLP uh, practitioner in Manchester, England. She's absolutely phenomenal. So look it up. It's great. Brain science is new. Also, brain spotting is new. Brain spotting's been around about two years. I'm one of the guys that first got uh, accredited when it was when it first came out. Now, what that is in layman's terms, it's a bit like EMDR, but you're more more focused. Um, it, it, it's a way of getting through. See, the eyes are part of the brain. People think you got the eyes optical in their brain. No, the brain was pushed the eyes out to the front of the skull where the eye sockets were. So it's part of the brain. So you can go from the pupil straight into the subconscious brain. So you're pulling stuff out from trauma that the person doesn't even know exists. See, everything's kept in this subconscious brain. The way for it to, to going forward and be successful is to come out of the conscious brain. But every alcohol and addict comes back from the place where everything bad is stored. So the uh, prefrontal cortex has one job or one main job, and that's to come up with a solution as fast as possible to your problem. The only problem with that is it doesn't have to be the correct solution. So it will draw from the subconscious, self-sabotaging behavior, part of the brain, which is a piece of rubbish, you know, you waste the time, blah, blah, blah. And we act and relapse on that. The idea is the conscious brain, which is the 24 hours at a time. It's not an AA thing. It was way before that. Was certain parts of the brain reset every 24 hours. So the idea is to come from here and not here is, is, is the main thing. Once you start coming from here, change neural pathways, have that psychic change we talk about, your DNA will change. That's our research. Go, go, uh, go Google it. DNA changes. That means you're not the same person as you come in or when you go out from us. 
is change. You're a different person, you know, and, and the way we treat our mind in the morning with the morning work can serve your day. You can do anything you want to do, guys. Don't ever tell me you can't. I mean, look at, you know, people used to say to me years ago, well, I can't be president of the United States. Forget your political views for a second. We had a business owner in the country who knew nothing about politics. Don't ever tell me you can't do anything that you want to do because you can. Stop putting the brakes in your imagination. And how many times have I heard you can't do that? You're not supposed to do that. That's almost impossible. Forget that stuff that people are telling you. Surround yourself with the people that are up there or on the way up there that believe that you can do it. Stigma plays a huge part in people refusing to get treatment for mental health issues, including addiction. How can society work to reduce the stigma associated with substance abuse treatment? Keep, keep talking about it, guys. Unfortunately, the guys we work with are very high profile, uh, A-listers, movies, actors, you know, stuff like that. They won't come out because of the position they're in. But everybody else that I try and get them out, keep talking about it. It's not a default. It's not a behavioral problem. You are not bad if you have addiction or alcoholism or any behavior trait or childhood trauma. You are not a bad person. You know, you have got to seek help, get it out there. And me, you know, everyone knows of my past. I put it out there. Everyone knows what I've been through. We need more people like me. You know, if you want to keep your anonymity, I, I perfectly, you know, support that. But the more we talk about it, you know, the better we're going to get with normal conversations with it. What's your cat's name? Uh, one of the, we have three English bulldogs and one cat. This is Ginger. So I'm, I'm laughing because I've got a 30-pound Shih Tzu named Zeke that my listeners often uh, – can find out when the UPS truck shows up out front. Uh, <laughs> I just want to welcome Ginger to the show. So, Dr. Kelly, where can they find your podcast, your book, and your DVDs? Well, if you're just listening, guys, I don't know whether you're watching or not, but uh, I spell my name with two Bs. That's R-O-B-B-K-E-L-Y.com. Stick Dr. Rob Kelly, two Bs, into any search engine or come up. Like us, blah, 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 do anything you want. And you know, guys, uh, a couple of things just for this show. If you want a book signed personally then uh, send me a message you'll get older me just send me a message search me you'll be good i'll send you one free of charge i'll sign it we'll pay for the, the posting if you buy one of amazon you don't like it uh, give it something else i'll send you money back because everything in there is given back uh, also the the rob kelly foundation.org is helping other alcoholics and addicts parent uh, to you know buy suits and stuff like that for uh, you know, court and anything like that. Uh, me and my wife also give $150,000 back to the community uh, and the world every single year of our own pocket. So help support us, guys. Just follow us, call us for any questions. No one's going to sell you anything. And uh, we're the leading authority when it comes to this because uh, we know more than anybody else. And that's not an ego statement. That's a, a really aggressive statement through years of, of terrible torture to me and my family and years and years of watching people go through this. So you know, come and follow us, guys. We'd love to have you. Thank you for that. And again, that's robkellyfoundation.org. And that's Rob with two Bs. Correct. Rob with two Bs. We have just a few minutes left. And I always like to have our guests take us to the close with something that gives them hope or offer advice to our audience to help them become less stressed, more content, and more empowered. What gives you hope or what can people in our audience do to become more empowered? Bye, guys, get up. Three things I tell you. Get up tomorrow morning. Uh, first thing you do is hold on to the bed, do your breath work. <sighs> do 10 exaggerated breaths in. We only breathe 42% of our lung capacity. Oxygen, the presence of oxygen is the absence of disease. Go look that up. The, the presence of oxygen. So that's the first thing to do. Get the body. No one's ever woke up laughing, Chris. Why? Lack of oxygen. So get the oxygen around to every cell in your body. Walk to the bathroom. Look yourself in the mirror and say, I love you 10 times from six feet away. 
because when we're near, we see our blemishes. So step away six feet. I love you 10 times watching yourself. Let's feed that subconscious brain. Next thing I want you to do, guys, if you're a right-handed person, is brush your teeth with the left hand one week, right hand one week. Do that for the month where they've changed them, your pathways up. I am categorically telling you that if you do this, if you find somewhere, if you want to take a step forward, don't let anybody tell you you can't. You know, once we make our mind up, that's where the, the, the saying comes from, mind over matter. You know, the binds is different from the brain. You can make your mind up first thing in the morning of what kind of day you're going to have. Be aggressive with that mind because you can set the tone for the day. If you get up in the morning and go, you know something, I stubbed my toe, it's going to be a bad day. It's probably going to be a bad day, guys. I get people all the time coming to me. Oh, I've had a bad day, Dr. Rob. I'm like, did you really have a bad day or did you just have 10 minutes that you strung on all through the day? Chris, it's usually the 10 minutes. So stop letting outside influences run your day. Get right with yourself, right with your higher power. Get your morning work done. March out of that bedroom to kill whatever you're going to do. March forward. Stick your head up. Even if you're suffering from alcoholism addiction, you start getting help. Stick your head up because you know why? Nobody's listening to this show by mistake. Everybody's listening because they're a leader and there's a message in this for you. And yeah, I'm speaking to you at home with nothing. If you're sat in the corner, guys, and you think you're not a man to anything, if you think that you'll never do anything and you're a terrible person, two things I want to say. First of all, I apologize because somebody's put that there. And secondly, guys, the biggest one I'm going to leave you with is, listen to this, 214-600-0210 is my personal cell phone number not my secretaries. If you're in that place we talked about, not if you just want to chat, I love you guys, but I've got no time for that. But if you're in that place I talked about, you text me and tell me, I'll give you a 15 minute conversation that will change your life. Okay. I'm guaranteeing that. I'm promising that anybody can change. There's no exceptions unless you have brain damage. Anybody can change. Compliment three people tomorrow when you go out, guys. And watch your life take off. Be the number one person in your life that walks out tomorrow morning and makes something happen. There's no heroes sat in that conference zone, guys. You can change. And you can change from when you see this pro program. And the morning after, I want you to start your morning work and go out there. Watch your life change. Find me, message me, and tell me how good your life has changed in 24 hours because it's possible. Ladies and gentlemen, that may be the best close ever. Mic drop by Dr. Rob Kelly. That's robkelly.com with two Rob with two Bs and robkellyfoundation.org. Run a time. Dr. Rob Kelly, thank you so much for your time and what you've done today. Really appreciate it, sir. Thanks, Chris. And thanks, guys. Good to see you. Thank you. And we'll see you all next week, same time. Until then, stay safe and keep taking your next steps forward. Thanks for tuning in to Next Steps Forward. Be sure to join Chris Meek for another great show next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, make things happen in your life. 